Welcome to the first ever episode of What Would Jeevas Do? I am your host, Nick Jeevas, coming at you from New York City, and what a friend you have in me. For those of you that may have missed our preview episode, my main job is a journalist. I've been a reporter for about three years now, but I've been in the media or the political game in one way or another since going back 16 years. I hosted a radio show for four years. I've worked on campaigns. I've volunteered with various groups. I've worked in Washington, D.C. I also have some ties to the medical community as well that we'll get into in some of the other episodes that we do. Uh, Places like Johns Hopkins, Georgetown, MD Anderson Cancer Center. It's been a storied journey with a lot of fun people and interesting guests that we're going to have come on and and share some, some real good life wisdom with us. And the reason I'm doing this podcast is because one day I woke up and this business that I had worked in for so long and poured all of this hard work into, none of it made sense to me anymore. It had become click-driven and meaningless. Like every website online news organization decided they were going to become BuzzFeed on steroids. It sucked the meaning out of it. And I didn't know what to do. Here I was having invested everything, my blood, my sweat, my money, my time. I slept on a couch for 70 days in a row once just to land a job in Washington. And here it was now resting on not a solid foundation, but pillars of sand. That's when my family and friends would start to tell me, maybe you're not feeling fulfilled because in your day-to-day, you're not able to just talk about what's on your mind and discuss the things that make you, you. And with that in mind, here we are, episode one. And we have an exciting first episode for you. I put a lot of thought into who I was going to pick as my first guest once we had this up and running. And I chose CNN commentator and Daily Beast columnist, Matt Lewis. The reason I chose Matt is because Matt was my first ever mentor in the journalism racket. For those of you familiar with it, the media is like the mafia. If you don't have someone watching your back, it's over before it's even started. Matt always looked out for me. He not only taught me how to be a better writer and promoted my work, he taught me how to be a better father. I don't even have kids, but the lessons he threw down, I'm never going to forget. Taught me how to be a better man, how to think deeply. I don't know where I'd be without him. To quote Frank the Tank from old school, I'd probably be face down in the bottom of a drain pool somewhere. So when we spoke, Matt shared a lot of good stories from his youth, but mainly in this episode, we focused on what it's like to quit a crappy job or when do you know that you finally hit the point of no return where there's nothing left to do but quit. And then how do you handle that? How do you quit? When do you quit? And then what do you do afterward to bounce back from having to walk away? We also talked about a few big picture items in life, things that in today's world have seemingly been put on the back burner that maybe people should start to focus a little more on. 
we as a society have kind of put the bigger thoughts in a jar and saved them for later. So Matt and I, towards the end, tried to poke a little bit at that and revive the discussion a bit. But mostly it was focusing on how to pull your Jerry Maguire, Michael Scott, I quit moment. And in today's world, a very valuable lesson. So as always with Matt, it was fun, it was informative, and it had soul. So without further ado, my interview with my friend and mentor, Matt Lewis. Let's take a listen. All right, welcome back. Welcome back. It's a very exciting day for us here. This is our first episode. And uh, this guest, very special guest, because uh, this was my mentor. It's my journalism mentor. And in a lot of ways, uh, this guy didn't just teach me how to be a, a better journalist, but he taught me how to be a better man, uh, how to be a good father, uh, how to be a man of faith. And that's Matt Lewis. And uh, Matt is a contributor for CNN. He's a columnist for the Daily Beast. And uh, we're thrilled to have him here. Matt, thanks for coming on. Nick, good to be here, man. And uh, congrats on the podcast. Thank you, man. And you know, as you know, you were a big insp- inspiration for that. You know, you, you would push me to try it and you tr- kind of trailblazed and done it yourself. And your show, Matt Lewis and the News, uh, also you have your own podcast. And I was on that once with you. And that was a big inspiration for it, man. So So thank you. Yeah, no, we had a really good conversation. And I think podcasts, yeah, I know they're having a moment. Everybody has a podcast now, but it really is a great media. It's a great place to have real conversations. So, um, you know, look, TV's great, radio's great, but uh, I think podcasts are are really a very special place. It is, you know, and it's kind of the, it kind of inherited the mantle that radio had. Radio is still powerful. It's still I think the gold standard for a little while, but like you said, it's this is where everyone is able to get out here on the playing field now. If you're willing to buy a mic, yeah, and put in a few hours, you have a show. There, there is something very like special and like I'm gonna romantic about it. I was listening to the World Series on ESPN Radio, listening to the Nationals play the Astros, and there's something. It's in a way, it's better. It's very different than TV, and I would argue maybe even better. It's something very special about people telling stories and painting pictures um, that I love. Yeah, that fireside chat, Paul Harvey element to it, where you kind of connect even more, not seeing the person, just hearing their voice and kind of being guided along and and painting, like you said, painting the picture in your head. I agree. It's a special thing. And with this show, what we want to do, this is obviously what would Jeeves do? And the reason it's called that is because what we do is we banter with the guests for about five or ten minutes. Then we have a little break, and then we have our about 10 to 15-minute segment where our guests will tell us a a story about their life, why it was a big decision they made, a a kind of a fracture moment, a before and after experience. And then we discuss what led to their big decision and why they did it and how it shaped them and whatever leads, you know, whatever we get from that, we kind of spin off into a bigger discussion. And then at the end, I share my thoughts on what I would have done or if I would agree with the guest or you know, agree and disagree. And I think we have a good format here, and I'm excited to start with you, Matt. So let's dive in, man. I had discussed yeah. a little bit with you about the stories that you wanted to tell. And um, before we get to that, though, I wanted to reference our podcast together that we did the last time. And I think the biggest thing we pulled out from there that I want to repeat, I think guests will get something out of, is people can either have a happy life or a meaningful life. I'm pretty sure you'll remember when we talked about that. And yeah. I'd like no, to hear your, it, I'd like to hear it, your thoughts on that. Is that black and white? Is that true? I mean, we dissected it before, but I want to hear it again. What do you think about that? I don't think it's a binary choice. 
But I do think these things are in tension with each other. And if, if you, I, I, I think you can sort of have it all, but I think the mistake is if you decide I am going to focus on being happy, um, you know, then you're kind of locked into taking short term, making short term decisions that guarantee immediate happiness. And I do think that probably is at odds with living a life of, of meaning and purpose. Um, so, but having said that, I, I don't think that a life of purpose and meaning means that you're destined to be unhappy. I think you can kind of have it all. I would err on having a life of meaning and purpose and trying to find moments of happiness where you can find them. You think you find that in journalism? I'm, I'm a fellow journalist. We're going to be interviewing a lot of people in media on the show about life. But do you, do you find that purpose and meaning in what yeah. you do as a columnist and a commentator? Yeah. I mean, look, every, not, not every minute of every day, you know, we have to make <laughs> yeah. a living and, and there's, you know, maybe not every column's going <laughs> to, not every column's going to win a Pulitzer Prize. Not every column is going to really mean much. But the thing about being a writer is there's a chance every time you write something, there's a chance that you move the needle. There's a chance that you nudge the world a little bit. And that's not nothing. That's better than a lot of jobs. Yeah. You know, Amen. Um, and so I'm just happy for the chance. That's that's all you can really ask for is, is the chance to be in a job where there's a potential that something you write one day could make a difference. That I mean, puts us ahead of a lot of other a lot of other people. I would always say people would ask me, how are you doing at work or how's your day going? And I would always say it beats having a real job. Because, you know, in totally. writing, you know, it almost feels like they're paying us to do this. And, and it, it's almost like you're playing playing baseball in the minors, you know, kind of on the cusp of going to the majors. And it's just you're getting paid to play baseball. It's just so shocking. And Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, my, my dad, my dad was a prison guard for 30 years and who would have get paid to write about politics. So it's a blessing. And I always remember I used to go. Uh, there was a guy where I'm from named Dave Morreale. He had this band, Dave Morreale and the Busload of Faith. And he used to play at this uh, Wednesday nights at this place. I think it was called Jeffrey's in Hagerstown, Maryland. And he had the second billing. It was All You Can Eat Buffalo Wings and Dave Morreale <laughs> on Wednesday nights. <laughs> yes. And he always said, but it was great because we would go eat Buffalo Wings. And then he would occasionally come during a break and sit with us and talk to us. And it was, you know, we're star-studded. Here's a local guy in Hagerstown, Maryland, um, but he's sort of a rock star in our world, and he's talking to us, and he said, uh, no matter how bad the gig is, it still beats getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and putting windows in somebody's house. Exactly. And yes. uh, I, think he had, I think he had a point. Doing the drywall up there at the new McDonald's. Yeah, I can't. Get, <laughs> exactly. It beats, it beats being and Lawrence I, from and office And by space. the way, <laughs> we're going to get to it later. Part of the theme is like I had real jobs like that. And I think it was John Kennedy uh, who said, um, you know, uh, if you have the chance, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something like, uh, you know, being rich, uh, you know, if you have a chance to be rich or be poor, be be rich or something like that. So, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, um, I've had bad jobs and they're, you know, they're, they're overrated. Let's be honest. They're overrated. Building off what we were just talking about, there is meaning in words. And I think there's a cliche that people say. 
the pen is mightier than the sword. It gets old. It loses meaning. But in reality, I was what I learned. I learned two things over the last few years. Two absolutes. One, you can't stop the sands of time. Time's coming for us all. And two, I think words are the most underrated form of of power that people don't look at and they don't use. And a lot of them don't wield it correctly. But when done right, move the needle. You can change the world. I mean, you can break the needle with the right set of words at the right time. And, uh, well, think of it. I mean, uh, the Bible is Jesus and the Bible are called the word, right? Yes. Uh, in the beginning was the word God (laughs) said, let there be light. Jesus said to the fig tree to dry up. Yep, if you shall say to this mountain in the Bible, they're highlighted words, in red, what he says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I think it's a spiritual thing. Words are incredibly powerful. And um, as a writer, I certainly believe that we're lucky to do it. And I'm happy that we're able to, to make a living off of it. And hopefully our words have some meaning here today and we can move the needle a little bit. So well, Matt, we were going to talk about, as we talked about the show's format, decision you made, a big impact, a big moment in your life, and you've picked one which everyone loves, a good quitting story, when you're able to walk out (laughs) on a shitty job. So please, fire away. Tell me, tell us your story about quitting. Well, yeah, I think the real lesson comes from the story that I'll tell later. That's kind of the one that set me on the course for the life I'm in now. But I think quitting is underrated because people think quitting is always bad. And I think quitting can be very good because if you buy into the notion that you're like meant that you have a mission, that you're meant to do something, then it means um, figuring out all the other things you're actually not supposed to be doing. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and so, look, I've I've quit baseball teams. I quit karate. I made it up to the first degree brown belt and quit before my black belt test. Um, and happy I did. And, and I've quit a bunch of jobs. And, and the first one I'll tell you about, I was working at a place called Watson's restaurant in Frederick, Maryland. And, um, Glamorous. they were famous for their fried, famous for their fried chicken. And, you know, but it was just, it was one of those things where they had these managers, uh, who were, were very mean. And I remember one time, like I was waiting tables there and, uh, and, and there was this family came in and the mom said like, Hey, listen, could you, could you bring something for our little kid, like a chicken leg or a wing? Uh, he's really hungry and he's going to like whine if we don't feed him and then everyone else will be happy. And I said, of course I will. Mm -hmm. Customer's always right. So I, I went in the back, got a chicken leg, uh, gave it to the kid. The kid was happy. The mom was happy. Everybody in the restaurant was happy because the kid wasn't whining. And then, uh, this, this manager called Eleanor started bitching me out. Uh, because what I had done is I had, I had sort of, I had broken the fourth wall. There was this conceit, this idea that you would order a chicken and we would go out and pick one out and we would butcher it, you know, <laughs> chop its head off and, and, and deep fry it just for you. Um, and she, she said to me, uh, you don't do things the Watson's way. <laughs> and I remember that, you know, Adam Carolla, the, the famous comedian has this book called, uh, not Taco Bell material. <laughs> and the, the point is he, he actually tried to get a job at Taco Bell and he, he wasn't, 
he wasn't deemed worthy. So he had to, he had to work at McDonald's. And I always felt like someday I'm going to write a book called Not the Watson's Way. Totally. Well, anyway, so one, one day I'm working at Watson's and um, I actually took a semester off from college, which I recommend because it'll teach you to go back to college, <laughs> like working, <laughs> working around regular people who, uh, who've been working at a crappy job for 20 years. Will, will nothing will inspire you to like study more than that. So, so not not a European like, sabbatical. We're, we're not talking about yeah writing sabbatical. No. I mean like real world break. I was working full time at Watson's Restaurant in Frederick, Maryland, <laughs> forty hours a week with people that this was their career. Um, but I'm young and I took a semester off and I'm working this job, and uh, and man. I, I remember like it, it was starting to get to me and, and I would like start looking to like five o'clock to roll around and I would go to this piano bar and have happy hour and just decompress. I was so stressed out from this job. And like one day at five o'clock hits and like nobody shows up to relieve me. Like the guy who's come in to take over frying chicken that day doesn't show up and five fifteen. Now it's five thirty, and I'm like getting the shakes almost, <laughs> and the guy doesn't show up, and uh, and I went, and they said, "Listen, you can't leave until our rule is you can't leave until the the guy shows up." And I said, "Well, I put in my eight hours today, and I decided to leave." And I went, and I told there was one really cool manager, a young guy named James, and I went to him, and I said, "James, I, I can't take it, man." I put in my eight hours, I'm leaving. And he said, well, they're going to fire you. I just want to let you know. And I said, so be it. I yeah. tore off my apron, walked out. And I'm man, out. <laughs> the sun is shining. Music is playing. <laughs> You're just dancing down and the, the street And the funniest now. thing is, then I get in, I get, get in, a get in the car. I drive five minutes to a pizzeria where interestingly, I had lunch today, <laughs> a little place called Il Forno's Pizzeria. It's great, by the way wood-burning oven pizza, highly recommended. I went there, I sit at the bar, I start pounding beer. <laughs> and they said, and I told them the story about how I walked out and they said, why don't you come to work here? Oh, so nice. I said, fine. Next thing you know, I'm like, I literally went around the, you know, went around the bar and started <laughs> washing dishes. And I ended up working there for a couple of years and, uh, and had a great time. So that That's was the awesome. first the first time I stuck it to the man. <laughs> how did that? How did that affect you? Did you feel like all of a sudden you got a little more machismo, a little more testosterone? Did it give you that feeling of like, okay, I have a little more control over my life, and I don't have to be pushed around? I, I'm self sufficient yeah. enough to where I, I can walk away. I mean, it was liberating, and the best part is that I was unemployed for about fifteen, <laughs> 15 <laughs> minutes. That was that was the pick me up, and then the cool thing is. Um, my girlfriend at the time who worked at Watson's and my best friend at the time both joined me. So they were kind of like the, the angels who, uh, who followed Walked me, out you of, know? Yeah, went to uh, with the you, rebel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we ended up restaffing Il Forno's Pizzeria with my, with my entourage and it was great. And they were, they were so cool to us there, but yeah, no, it was liberating, but think of the other option, which is to, um, to cave in, to let them out. exploit you and they would keep doing it. I could still be at Watson's. That's well, true. actually I couldn't, they went out of business, but <laughs> Hey, if you but, were there, man, there were if you people, were there, maybe they wouldn't have. Well, there were people when I was, when I, part of what made me decide to go back to college 
was when I was working there full time during this little sabbatical, as we call it, um, <laughs> there were people who had like taken a taken a break from college 25 years earlier who were still <laughs> and there. We're still on sabbatical. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going back, man. I'm so that back. that was a hell of a lesson. Oh man! So how does that? How did that kind of? Did that affect your other story? Because you have this this bigger quitting story that kind of shaped who you are now and really set you on the course. How long? How many years after the Watsons quitting did this story, the the big story, happen? So, uh, so the difference is this first quitting story that I just told you. I was in college at the time, or I had been. I was living at home and I was taking a break from college, but I was still sort of adolescent phase. So quitting a job didn't have the same implications that the later, it wasn't quite as serious as later when I quit. Um, But you know what they say? Uh, If you start quitting, it can become habitual. So (laughs) maybe it helps. And, and, And if you're like me, if you believe that quitting Again, quitting gets a bad rap, but quitting smoking could be good. Quitting drinking might be good. So quitting isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's what you quit, and uh, that that I think is the key. And how you quit. I mean, have you ever, have you ever watched The Office? Uh, yeah. I think you have. You're pretty familiar with the Steve Carell show. And there's one part where he feels disrespected. They, they don't throw him his like 10-year anniversary party. So he drives to New York and meets the boss. And the boss man doesn't doesn't hear him, like tries to mitigate it, but, you know, messes it up. And Steve Carell just gets up and says, I quit and shakes his hand. And the guy's like, Michael, where are you going? And he just turns around and he says, you have no idea how high I can fly and walks out. (laughs) And every time I'd seen that, I was like every day at the Daily Caller, I was like, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to I'm going to make a scene. I'm going to Jerry Maguire the shit out of this place. I'm going to flip tables. I'm not going to do what you think. (laughs) <laughs> Freak out! Here's the funny part: is I don't know if what I'm impersonating is Jerry Maguire or Half Baked, where there's a both. yeah, you're getting like a Jim Brewer, yeah, there's like an homage. <laughs> I'll give you four bucks for that Kenny Loggins record. It's signed. <laughs> I'll give you three. <laughs> Classic. So, so then tell me, tell me this big one. Then tell, let's hear the 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 Michael Scott shove it story. Yeah, well, I'm not really proud of the way I quit. I am proud that I quit. So I graduated from college and the economy is booming and it's easy to get a job if you've ever done an internship or if you have a network or contacts, but I have none of that. Like literally my idea of how you get a job, like a real job, is you look for an ad in the back of the newspaper and you like send in your application, you send in your your resume um, and anyone who knows. Yeah. But that's obviously even back then that didn't work. That still wasn't the way, but that's all I knew. My dad's a prison guard, you know, middle-class family. They said, you got to go to college. Mm-hmm. And, but, but we still didn't have like the, the, the contacts, the networking, the, the, the knowledge of how to sur- sort of survive in the modern world. Um, so I graduate and I can't get a job. And I ended up going to this headhunter service in Frederick, Maryland, and they placed me at a fast food restaurant managing and I'm making pretty decent money, but I was just miserable. My, you know, I'd actually broken up with my girlfriend and then I regretted it. And then she's moved on to another guy. And you know how it is when you have no game, no momentum, you're done. No and juice. I just, I no juice. I'm working at this fast food restaurant 
and it's horrible. Um, nobody I can really identify with there. There's two types of people who worked at this fast food restaurant. They were like, um, like teenage high school kids who kind of saw me as the man. I'm now their boss. I'm a little bit older. I'm a little bit out of touch and really old people who were like retired, but they really thought they knew everything there was about the restaurant, you know? Um, so I'm sort of the man with no friends who's suddenly everybody's boss. And, and the training for this, this franchise was, was pretty extensive. I had to really work every shift and every single position. And I had to know it inside and out. So the, it was actually a pretty steep learning curve. They took it pretty seriously. And I, I was miserable, man. I, I had, uh, I, I really felt here I am with this college degree. Um, and I just felt miserable and that I wasn't fulfilling my purpose or my calling. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I'd ever felt like that. I never even knew I had a purpose or a calling before, but I just, something was wrong. And I remember, um, my parents were like, look, we've, we've been carrying you through college. Um, even though I kind of worked my way through, they were really helping support me. And they're like, you just graduated. It took years. Uh, you need to get a gig. And, and I come from that kind of old school background. My dad was a prison guard. We're like, you know, you're not supposed to like your job necessarily. It's nice if you do, but you got it. You get up every day and, and, and you go and you do your job and you get paid and, and you make sacrifices for your family. And I remember going to my dad being like, I feel like I want to quit. And he was like, go for it. You know, wow, <laughs> and, okay. and that blew me away. That blew me away to get that kind of support from my dad. Why do you think he said that? Um, Why do you think he gave you that kind of blessing without a character like that? I think, I think it goes to the fact that part of the reason that he was doing it, that he was making the sacrifices was so that his son could have a better life. And even though there was no reason to believe at that point that I really had any, anything possibly that, that, that could happen. Um, I think he was, he was still holding on to the shot that his son could have a better life. So I quit the fast food restaurant. I'm not happy. I'm not proud of the way I did it. We got to hear that. I woke up one morning over it. Yeah. How'd you do it? You have to understand it was really (laughs) hard for me. It was really hard for me to come to grips with the fact that I was going to do it. But when I finally came to grips with the fact that I was going to quit and I was just sick about it, torn up about it. And I couldn't, didn't have the guts to go in and look him in the eye. I just phoned in and I said, Hey, this isn't working out. One day, never went back, never went back. Um, that, but quitting opened the door to everything I'm doing now. Like, Almost immediately, Nick, after I quit, it was almost magical. I had hit rock bottom. And if I, I had followed the common sense advice, work harder, suck it up, be a good soldier, be a cog in the machinery, none of that would have happened. Quitting was the best thing I ever did. I got it. It's hard not to see God in that, Matt. You know, I feel like you were. Well, he, he is. He is. And that's part of the story, too. 
I, I really just hit rock bottom and, and just said, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. You, you figure it out. You tell me what to do. <laughs> and once I did that, and by the way, that coincided with this, with me quitting. I mean, that was all at the same time. And that's when, uh, doors started opening and almost magically things let, started happening. You let, go. you let go and you let God, as they say. <laughs> exactly. Well, when I say hitting rock bottom and it, it, it you know, it's the same thing that happens to addicts in a way. Um, mm-hmm. They quit drinking or drugging and I, <laughs> I quit working for the man, but um, it was tough. It was, it was a really tough decision and there was no reason to believe that there'd be anything better around the corner. But sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you have to let go. You have to say goodbye to to open the possibility. I remember back in, what was it? A year ago, maybe a year or two ago, we'd be on the phone, you and me, and I would be at work miserable, hating it, and fighting against the current every day, trying not to quit. You know, I got lucky. You know, Fox hired me without me really having to push and quit, but you remember. I mean, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't six when, months ago when I was on the phone with you talking about this. And I think what I told, you know, oftentimes I would probably say it's better for you not to quit right now. But if you do quit, I won't think any less of you at all. Yes, you know? that's exactly what you would say to me. And you, you would even kind of mention these stories in passing of your own experience and say, listen, you know, how are you feeling? And when I would say, you know, miserable without purpose and abused, you would say, well, then, you know, maybe it is time to pack it in. And um, yeah, by, by the grace of God, well, there literally, is- you know, I lasted, but. Well, there is a thing like almost like an abused wife syndrome, which is when you're in a really bad job or a really bad relationship, if you stay there too long, then it's really a trap because you'll start to think that maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. They're not the ones who are crazy. You deserve it. And then you... um you kind of lose your mojo and no one else wants to hire you because you don't have the momentum and you don't, you know, your body language is bad. So staying in a toxic environment, um, it has like these other ramifications that are like, you might not even think about like just sticking out a bad job could now look, here's the other thing. If you're married and you've got five kids and a mortgage and taxes and all that, you may have to stay in a bed. Yeah, different story. Different but story. if you're, yeah, but if you're a young person and you feel like you're trapped, you may, you know, you may be better off pulling the plug. Yeah. And if you're good enough to have survived there and you have faith in yourself, that's what I had to do. I had to take it on faith, faith alone that when I left or when I started to leave that, There'd be something there for me. And, you know, it's like you said, it's a lifelong struggle. Sometimes you quit and even when you bounce back, you know, that job isn't still isn't the one. So it's it's a grind no matter how you cut it. Yeah. It's work. You know, it's work. The word work usually has the connotation of shitty or, you know, it's just long and drawn out. But I I mean, I had a lot of uh, I was ready. I had written my resignation letter. I didn't I don't think I've told a lot of people this, but. I had a resignation letter ready, and I was going to quit with no other job, with no health insurance, I might add. And that was a big deal for me. 
And yeah. you really got to push people really far for them, I think, to want to quit without a lifeline. And I've seen it before. I've seen it at every job I've been at. Someone has at least – at least one person has pulled the trigger without having a net below them. I thought my advice is not – look, there are people who quit all the time. They quit everything, and they're losers, and they don't they don't need this advice because, frankly, they're going to quit anyway. <laughs> this advice that I'm giving is for people – who are really conscientious and maybe even from a conservative background. And they, they believe this old school thing that like quitting is always bad. And that it's, you should, if you start something, you should always finish it out. You should always stick with it. I don't think that's necessarily true. It's not. And they're the ones who need to, they're the ones who need to hear this advice that it is not always a sign of weakness or a, an admission of failure. Sometimes it is the right thing to do. And if you buy, again, I'll just repeat it. I mean, if you buy the argument that there's something that you're supposed to be doing, then by definition, that means there are a million things you're not supposed to be doing. And if you happen to be doing one of the things you're not supposed to be doing, (laughs) then you should probably quit. Yeah, and you got to gamble. I mean, even the most, you know, person that has the path laid out for them. They're a prodigy. They, from day one, they knew what they were going to do. Even those people encounter risk and they have to gamble yeah. a little and they got to, you know, put themselves out on a ledge and, and, you know, hope that they, when they jump, that they can fly. And, uh, I mean, you know, I also would wonder, and, and I want to wrap with this and then, and then close out with just some general thoughts with you, but let's flip it for a minute and just think about how, how hard you really have to push someone I mean, those losers we mentioned, the people that are just going to quit anything, they're going to quit whatever. But the normal people, when they're pushed to the brink like that, I just – I've been confused by this since day one, how management and certain people will completely disregard the idea of having a peaceful relationship with their employees. And they will push so hard that someone would rather risk getting sick with no health insurance, risk losing their apartment, risk being labeled a bum because they can't handle the craziness of their boss. And I never, I never understood that, you know, completely unprovoked nuking and scorching the earth with someone. I was never that way. And I never understood why other people felt they had to be that way to get things done. Yeah, no, I think it's a combination of things. I think some people, a lot of people are really power trippers. It's so weird. I think that there are a lot of, um, I don't know, masochists, sadists, whatever the word. There are a lot of people who in every other aspect of their life are are pretty decent people. But if you give them a taste of power in the office, they will exploit it to the hilt. It is weird. Mm -hmm. You could have people that are super nice, but if you work for them, man, oh, they'd be Machiavellian. It's, It's super weird. And a lot of times they're not really the ball. I mean, they're not the owner. They're just like a middle manager, but it doesn't matter if they're your boss, they're your boss. So that's a weird thing. I I just, by and large, I've just discovered that they want someone who will do what they say and not ask a lot of questions and not cause problems. Just do what they say. Most of these bosses are not really interested in success or getting ahead as much as they're interested in being in charge. They really want to be in charge. They prioritize that over 
yeah, it's a weird thing. But I think if you realize that, like if you just come to grips with that, that you'll be ahead. Um, oh yeah. And if you, you can work it and yeah. And if you want to avoid that, I think there are only a couple of ways. One is start your own damn company. Yeah. Be your own boss. Um, <laughs> and then the second is be so good that the rules don't apply to you. That's be so what I, famous that's what I or popular. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I worked so hard that I was like, if I can save up enough capital and impress yep. good people, the good bosses that aren't pieces of crap, then I have enough ammunition to fight off the people that are sick in the head and survive. Yeah. And that's kind of, they pretend and, and kind of play detente with you and pretend that it was all good because you had backup and you had results. Yeah. And the, I mean, unfortunately, this leaves a lot of people behind who aren't going to be able to be their own boss or kind of be a rock star. But I don't really think you can change the system. I no, I think the I best think you so can either. do is is make it make your own job where you can have freedom and, and independence if you're or lucky. Be that or be that executive vice president. Rise high enough and then be the one yeah. that says, you know what, I'm going to try this. I'm going to innovate. I'm going to I'm going to say that anyone that does this machismo crap that flexes that you know treats my employees bad underneath me is going to get fired. So yeah, you know, or just you, you be can the, try to just, flex. Yeah, a little bit, but yeah, I think your own be your own boss is a better. Or be the guy who treats other people well. I mean, that's part of it, yes. as you were just sort of getting at. I mean, be the manager who treats employees well and tries to win and get ahead by virtue of inspiring people and motivating people to work hard. Be the intern coordinator who treats interns right and mentors them. All of those things. Um, be the change you want. <laughs> be the yeah, change you want Gandhi to see. Gandhi here. might say. You, you, you were yeah. great to us, man. <laughs> at, at the Daily Caller, we were interns and we were treated pretty well back in the day. This is years ago. Completely different yeah, it was great. than it is now. But yeah, you, Alex Treadway, these other guys that worked at the company that didn't need to talk to us, didn't need to stop, would stop and give us like free books that you guys got or like Girl Scout cookies or how you doing? What's going on? Like, you know, do you want to do you need advice? Do you need contacts? And that, that meant a lot. And, you know, this reminds me our discussion now of that movie, uh, Patch Adams and, and rest in peace to Robin Williams. But he had a great line to, again, another rest in peace, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And he says to him, you know, I forget how young you are, Mitch, that you think you have to be a prick to get things done or that you actually think that's a new idea. And I always took that with me and tried not to be a jerk. And even when I'm yep. stressed, you know, people don't need that. I, I've learned personally that life is hard enough without the added stress of people being, you know, jerks and and, and asshats. So I, I tried not to be one to other people. And it works. People respond and they remember you for that and they treat you the way you treat them. So I think that's a, a good lesson to take with us. I want to ask you a broader question to wrap up here. When you you have kids now, you have a family, you work in this business in media and, and you said you you found you know a good amount of meaning. And But do you think we as people have lost track of our priorities as a society? I mean – when you think big picture and you think afterlife and you think the kind of the quickness of time, it doesn't seem like a lot of people are stopping and thinking about the end goal here. You know, what comes after this? How are you going to, you know, pass on from this world? Are you going to do it well? Are you going to, none of that even seems to make it into the daily conversation. Am I wrong? Are we, are we not tuned into that enough or is it something we should be giving more attention to? 
No, I think it's something everyone should give more attention to. You know, anecdotally, it seems like you're right. It just doesn't seem like people are um, are focused on the eternal things. I'm a big fan of the Stephen Covey Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of his habits is to begin with the end in mind. And it's the whole thing. I mean, David Brooks talks about resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. And the idea nice. is think about, you know, what, what do you want your eulogy to say? What, what are the things that would really matter? If, if I were to die tomorrow, what would I want people to say about me? And that's very different than the immediate stuff. You know, yes. I mean, you probably want to be remembered by your kids. You probably number one, you probably want to have kids. Yeah. You probably want to want to be remembered by them as as a good father. Um, you want uh, maybe when it comes to work, it's not how many hours you work, but maybe something that you left behind that you're proud of. Um, and then it's stuff like, did you did you were you kind to people? Were you good to people? Did you visit the sick? Did you give to charity? Things like that that are different than like how many how many hits today did we get? <laughs> did you get yeah, on how many your clicks? Post, you know? Yeah, how many clicks, how many on, clicks on your story? Yeah, and so I always think you should major. Don't major in the minors and minor in the majors. You know, focus on the things that get you the most bang for your buck. And 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 if you believe in eternity, then it actually makes more sense to focus on those eulogy virtues, not the resume virtues. I love it, Matt. Always refreshing to hear some truth every now and again from you, and that's why I call you often, and that's why I'm very proud to have had you as our first guest on What Would Jeeves Do? Always enlightening, ever surprising, and only getting better with age, the Matt Lewis. Matt, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thank you, Nick. So welcome back. We just spoke with Matt Lewis and heard his manifesto on quitting. And this is the part of the show where I come back solo and share my brief thoughts on the discussion that I had with the guest. And the key question of the show is, what would Jeeves do? And in this particular situation, it's sort of a mixed answer. And we're going to get a few of those with some of these guests. It's not always going to be a straight, I disagree, or, you know, Matt Lewis is a visionary. It's usually going to be Shades of Grey. Now, if I were in Matt's shoes, Matt talked about two situations where he quit. The first one was that chicken joint that treated him like crap and wanted him to stay on for like two or three hours after his shift. He's constantly getting bitched out, being told he wasn't, to quote Seinfeld, Penske material. Uh, and that I would not put up with. I would have laid down a ridiculous crescendo about respect and loyalty to management in the restaurant and I would have given them those customers sitting there a story for the rest of their lives to tell and I would have been a little more dramatic about it than maybe Matt was I'm a very theatrical person but I would agree with him that walking out on that crappy gig was the way to go now that was kind of his warm-up to the second quitting story where Matt was managing a, a food joint and he just lost all meaning. And I talked about this in the intro. I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to invest so much 
in a career or in something that's driving you and wake up one day and feel like someone reached in and scooped out your soul, stole your mojo. And you don't think quite the same when you feel depleted versus when you just feel normal or when you feel good. So I forgive Matt for literally phoning it in. As he said, he felt bad about it. He didn't go in person. Now, I, I would have gone in person. I'd like to think that even feeling the loss of the mojo, I would have gone in person because it's not just a fair shot to the employer to go in and, and meet them eye to eye, but it sort of creates the situation where they can give you a counteroffer. They can talk to you. What can we do better? Is this only about work? You know, is what is, can we help with anything? That sort of situation. However, Matt seemed well beyond uh, the pale and I don't think he was ever coming back. So maybe not the worst thing, but I personally, I would have gone in and done it in person. And, but would I have quit the same way he did? Absolutely. That's not a long-term job, in my opinion. Working in fast food, working at a bar, it's honorable work. It's hard work. And it takes a lot of patience and customer service skills. And I am not above that. I have worked jobs that were hourly and that were, you know, not glamorous work. But there does have to come a point where you say to yourself, how long am I going to do this for? How long am I going to, you know, take crappy tips and pour other people's drinks and service other individuals before I start ordering a meal and having someone bring their martini to me? And that, to me, would necessitate quitting. I, I would need, if I were Matt, I would have pulled the plug as well. And maybe what I would have done differently is when I went in there, I would have listed the reasons. I would have written down the, the top five or top 10 reasons why I was quitting. I would have made a pros and cons list, which is what I did when I personally was contemplating quitting jobs. And then start, put it on the scales. What what are the pros and cons? And in, in touching upon that, I want to go back to something Matt said, that it's always better if you can hang on. If you're able to hold out, it's going to probably be an easier transition. Jumping from tree to tree, it can be exciting. Hell, I was ready to do that and risk everything because I hated my job. But you have to ask yourself, how much do you have to lose? Are you risking the welfare of other people with your actions? A family, children. Ultimately, one is responsible for one's own actions, but the ripple effect you send out is going to hit other people. And you have to do the math real quick on the spot and figure out if it's worth it. For Matt, for me, for other young people listening that are flying solo, it's a great out to have. It's an ace up your sleeve to say, hey, I don't need this crap. I got my youth. I got energy. I got a willingness to work. I deserve respect. I'm gone. But there's always that worry about burning bridges. So I'm half and half here. It's hard to preach because I've been in all these situations. But I would say that it's always better. to When people vent their spleen, they feel better temporarily. But it's the people that hold out and keep calm that in the end get the last laugh. So that's what I would recommend. I, if I could, go always do it in person. Always try to be respectful. And make, make your pros and cons list. Think about it. You know, what... Would this spark something? 
Look what happened with Matt. Matt quit over the phone and became famous. He went out and became a writer and accomplished his dream. And, you know, a young kid, son of a prison guard from West Virginia, is now on CNN talking about world affairs. I think he made the right move. So there, there are exceptions. But when you can hold on, when you can hold out, when you can shake the hand, smile, always leave on good terms, you're going to win bigger. You can still do what Matt Lewis did. You can you can quit the classy way and still go out and use it as fuel. Now, do we all want to do the Jerry Maguire? Yeah, of course. But who is the who is the real person of strength? The person that Jerry Maguire's and flips out, or the person that uses that calmness to stay strong and then gets a good reputation? And then maybe you benefit. They say, hey, I worked with that person. They quit, but they, they were a really hard worker and they were class. They were pure class. That's something you can't buy. So when you're in that situation, when you're in that bind, take a deep breath, count to 10, pull out a piece of paper, and start jotting down what will happen the minute you quit. Start thinking about who you'll piss off and how that can affect your life and your career. And if there are more reasons to do it, do it. But always keep it above board. Never burn bridges unless you have to. And when you have to, you'll know. You won't need Jeeves to tell you when to burn that bridge. You're going to feel it. You're going to hit a point of no return that you're, you're just going to do it. But always try to hold it off to the last minute if you can. And that is what Jeeves would do. Thank you for joining us on this great first episode. I very much look forward to this journey with you, the listeners. And I want to tell you that our next two episodes are going to be with Fox News' Tucker Carlson and local pastor, Father Tom Burns, here in New York State. Two amazing people who I've met and worked with and learned so much from. They've changed my life. And I think they're going to help change yours, too, with their wisdom that they're going to share with us on, on the show. And after that, we're going to talk to everybody. We're going to talk to investigative journalists. We're going to talk to undercover journalists. We're going to talk to doctors. We're going to talk to professors. We're going to talk to lawyers. We're going to go and we're going to find everyone that has given us good answers on topics that are difficult to grasp. And by the end of it, hopefully, we'll have absorbed enough good answers to help us find that compass bearing that we're all looking for to lead that meaningful and fulfilling life. Again, please go to whatwouldjeevasdo.com to hear us. You can also follow us on Twitter at whatwouldjeevasdo. That's what would Jeevas spelled G-I-V-A-S, do. And listen, what do you got to lose? Remember, Jeevas saves.